Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crushing It in Construction podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Skinner, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Tony Godera. Tony is the director of Godera O'Connor, a company that specializes in water treatment and pumping projects for water authorities and councils. Tony's been in the contracting game for a long time. He has a lot of experience. I think you're going to get a lot from this episode. Tony shares his views on niching. He also shares his views on contract negotiations as well. So I think you're really going to get a lot of valuable content out of this episode. So let's get into the show. G'day, Tony. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Thanks, not bad. How's your day going? I actually had a half-decent game of golf this morning, so that, that's good. It was can't, a good day. Can't complain. What's, what's your handicap? Not very good. Maybe to 26 now. I reckon the harder you try, the worse you go with golf. Yep, definitely. Um, so for everybody um, that's listening and people that don't know you, could you just give us a quick 60 to 90 seconds rundown on who you are and what it is you do? Okay. I'm semi-retired, been an engineer, well, trained as an engineer, but I guess over time became more of an entrepreneur, business manager. Grew up over at Cal on the Air Peninsula and... Uh, Went to boarding school at Ross Trevor College in Adelaide. And then I spent my career working initially in Wyala with as a training engineer. And then back in Adelaide and a bit of time in Queensland working at various engineering and manufacturing companies. I'm a father of four, stepfather of another two. So we've got a bit of a mixed family in a um, very happy and rewarding relationship with um, my partner, Lindy. I don't, know, um, I don't know how you do it with so many kids. I've got two, and I swear they're trying to kill me. Most of them are off my hands now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I like to spend my time now with fishing, golf, travel a lot, and follow the footy fairly closely as well. And I guess over the, over my career, I've been involved in a number of startup companies. Guydro Connor, the one we're going to talk about. I've also was involved with Oyster Farms with my brothers. Uh, that's Pristine Oyster Farm, which uh, I was involved in for 20, 20 odd years, and another a finance company called Principal Finance, which I was also involved in for 20 odd years. Yeah, sounds like a great background. So, how did you eventually get into the industry, specifically the water industry? Yeah, that's a good question. I was working in manufacturing and went up to uh, Queensland for a while, for about four years. While up there, my wife. Uh, got cancer and we moved back to South Australia and soon after that she passed away. So I took a year off of work and when I went to find a job again after that, I landed in the water industry. I, I'd not worked in there before, but I... Other than oysters. <laughs> yeah, true. I ended up uh, working for O'Donnell Griffin, which most people would know as an electrical contracting company. They had a, a small water division back then in Adelaide, and I was employed to manage that, knowing absolutely nothing about water. So that's how I got into the game. And you've recently got, was it last year or this year, you got 20 years in business? Was that right? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, two th December 2001 we started. And, yeah, so we just up for 20 years. O'Connor's sold out of the business in 2010, and it was, wasn't long after that that Malcolm passed away. And so the ownership changed then, and we've actually since got another a chairman in whose name happens to be Mick O'Connor, just through coincidence. <laughs> and uh, Works well. So what are some of the different stages that the business went through when you were growing and starting the business to where it is today? 
there's been a lot. Initially, we started off, we had one 20 square metre office, which I started off in on my own. And we worked out of that office for the first two or three years. We got to the point where we had about six people trying to squeeze into the office. So we had a book space in the office if we wanted a bit of desk space. So the initial phase, I guess, was to build a team of people. And I, I didn't have any trouble uh, attracting people from O'Donnell Griffin, who I had previously employed. They were more than happy to come and join us. Ian Wood, who had worked there, joined within the first six months, and he, he bought shares in the company as well. And once he got started, we got hold of a few guys from O'Donnell Griffin and, and, and attracted other people, grew up a team of people. We had to win some work, obviously, which we, we did very well on that in the early days. We, we didn't have any trouble getting work. So what were some of the first hires that you actually did? Were they people for, for administrative roles or were they more, you know, people on the tools? The first was really Neil Atkinson who came to do drafting, the drawings, for yep. the first project we won. And he became, he multitasked. He, he ended up doing engineering, drafting, bit of project management uh, and a bit of everything. Uh, he was the first. And then we, I had a part-time administrative person come in Alison Ferdy, who, who worked for, well, 17 or 18 years with us. Then it was more project managers, supervisors, and trades. Yeah. I always find it really interesting to hear what those first hires are with people. Typically, they tend to be people on the tools, but you just never know. I was talking to some people and, and they say but you know, HR was the first person they um, hired was one person I was talking to the other day and they didn't have a team yet, but his reasoning behind it was really sound. So you mentioned that the first 10 years of growth were, were, were really good and to, to a certain extent, smooth sailing. What were some of the, the, the struggles that you had while you were gearing up over those 10 years? Really, if we had such a good run. We got a good team of people. We expanded. We went into state, had some good wins. I'd say the hardest thing for me was staying awake. <laughs> with all the hours you were doing? <laughs> well, with the hours, me growing, you know, a growing family. I had, had kids and it was just the amount of work you have to put in. If you're going to keep up with a business that's growing so quickly, quite often you haven't got all the right people to do the things you want to do and you just got to yourself but uh, you mentioned we just come up with 20 years and, and at a celebration before christmas a group of the um, long-time staff actually presented me with a memento of my 20 years and it happens to be a photo board of a selection of photos where they found me asleep at their various functions so it's a recipe for disaster isn't it you, you, <laughs> you work long hours and then you go to a function uh, a couple of wines and it's just your body shuts off <laughs> So what would you say, oh, that, there it is there for people that can't see, show me a photo. So what would you say over those 10 years, you're growing really fast and now what are you at, about two, 200 people? Pretty close. So what, what were some of the biggest mistakes that you've made? You're growing so fast, you're obviously, you're winning work. What would have been some of the, the, the biggest struggles that you had, you know, during that growth phase? I guess we, we should have employed some more specialist people along the way sooner particularly okay. contract specialists people uh, better understand contracts and how to manage contracts i think if there's one thing that we could have done a whole lot better over the years it's that were there any specific times where you got burnt through contracts that maybe weren't uh, in your favor yep yeah you <laughs> yeah. were those and yeah they still happen we've found that you know that contracts have probably not changed that much over the years but 
we've found that our clients have administered the contracts more tightly not recently over the last few years so things that were always in contracts but they're never really worried about they are starting to um, hold us to why do you think that's changed good question maybe the reason they are starting to use them more is that they've probably had contractors that have ripped them off in the past i do know of a few examples where contracts have re- have really taken clients to the cleaners and so the clients are turning around now and turning the screws down on the contractors. So if you could have your time again, you would hire more people that are specialists within reading through that fine print and contract negotiation. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. If we had a time again, there would be certain conditions within contracts that we just wouldn't accept anymore. A good example recently will be we're starting to push for rise and fall contracts uh, clauses to come back into contracts because of the uncertainty about you know, prices of price of steel and cable and so on, and concrete, they just seem to be going up so quickly over the last year or so, we are pushing to get rise and fall contract, uh, clauses back into the contracts. Yeah. So as a company that's, that's pretty established and got a good track record, if you're pushing back on certain things within contracts, are you finding that's really harming you because, you know, I think we all know that in this game that there's somebody else that's newer to the game that's maybe a bit naive that's willing to sign something that you aren't. Yeah, that's always a risk. It is always a risk that you have to take. And sometimes you lose a project because of it. And when that happens, you've just got to think it's either it's either you lose a project or you win a project and lose money on it. And sometimes those contracts, you can actually, it's like you said, you, you win the contract, you might lose money, but those contracts could actually lose you your business at the end of the day. So it's like looking five steps ahead, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So why do you think some of these younger, or well, not necessarily younger, but why do you think that some of these people in businesses go ahead and sign these contracts that are just so, you know, litigious and not really in their favour? Because you want the work. We've done that past, and in the early days, we, we didn't get contract clauses because we, we just wanted the work. Do you think uh, it's just that, though? Do you think some of it comes down to maybe not reading it and not understanding what they're reading? Yes, there's certainly an element of that. There's a lot of one-line contract. No small to medium contractor really has the capacity to be able to understand all the detail in some of these contracts, and they can come back and bite you. So for somebody that's, that's listening to this podcast who's been bitten on the arse by some of these contracts, your advice, what's step number one for maybe trying to make sure that's, that's not happening? And I suppose a lot of people would like to know how do they actually get to the point where they can say, no, I'm not signing that, but still potentially get the work and not have the client say, all right, see you, I'll get the next bloke. Yeah, the answer is to either employ a specialist on your books or engage a, a contractor to do that work for you, to do it contract review before you put a bid in and and in fact in a lot of cases it's worth doing that review before you even decide to bid and and if there's clauses in there that are just not workable don't even bid yeah back and try and negotiate those clauses before you can be doing and a, a client's willingness to change their contract will probably depend a bit on uh, the state of the market. They've got plenty of people out there to bid a project. They're, they're not going to change contract conditions. However, if they are struggling to find people to bid a project, and, and you're the only one, then they might, they might be a bit more receptive to making changes. Yeah. So, how hard have you found it to actually negotiate 
on these tenders. I know from myself, when you're looking at tenders that are through councils or governments, actually getting to somebody to talk to is like pulling teeth and you, you can't speak to the same person twice. How do you actually negotiate those contracts? Very difficult. It, this is one of the hardest things, the hardest thing, because normally they won't do any negotiations before a tender's closed. So then the only way you can do it is to put qualifications into your tender and then if your if your boss is right, they'll come back and negotiate those uh, qualifications with you. If your price is not right, they, they won't talk to you. And in, in most cases, they are just unwilling to change, which mm. is really difficult a lot of and particularly with big government organizations that we tend to deal with they're not prepared to take the risk associated with making changes to their contract so they'll just come back to you and say tell us how much it's going to cost to leave that clause in the contract it sounds like hiring somebody to take care of this and having them on your books it will pay pay itself off pretty quickly if you can get somebody that knows what they're doing yeah yeah not only in terms of actually winning the work, but making sure that work doesn't cost you money halfway through the job or at the end of the job. Yeah, that's right. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you while we're chatting here that you think would benefit the audience? I think in contracting, it's really important to stick to your netting. Stick to what you know. In, in Guide Connor, we do water treatment, wastewater treatment plants and pump stations. That's basically what we do. And that's what we know how to do. And over the years, we've had clients and other partners coax us into bidding other water projects, pipelines and dams and, you know, other things that are water-related but don't really suit our skill set. And it's really easy to have your attention dragged away and, and put a whole lot of time and effort into a project that, really doesn't suit your skill base and you're probably not going to win it anyway. I think it's really important to, to stick with what you know. So you're basically niching down. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because a lot of businesses in contracting go the other way, don't they? They try and expand into absolutely everything. If you've got a civil contracting company, it's easy to start doing spray seal or you know curbing, whatever it is. But it's interesting you, you say that. So you think sticking to your guns and having a very narrow focus is contributed to you know y- y- your growth and your success? Definitely. And it might not apply to every business model, but for us in the contracting game, I've seen a lot of people in our industry that have tried to diversify and become everything to everybody, and a lot of them have gone bust, and I know others that have gone very close to the line and and only recovered because they've done what they're good at doing. If you could go back in time when you were just starting the business, what's one piece of advice you'd give yourself? It would be to get those contractual specialists in earlier and... Put the right people into the right roles. Over the years where we've got people and we've had a role that needed to be fit here, that needed to be filled, and we've just put that person into the role and they haven't always been the best person for that role. So I think it's important to make sure you got the right one for the role. And the other one I think is just don't try and grow too fast. Yes, you want to grow but growing super fast is risky. You can tie up your, your capital and, and your resources. And if you 
take on too much work and you haven't got the people to deliver it, you're going you're gonna to get a bad reputation. Yeah, everybody says you want to look after the customer and, and like you just said, if you, you're taking on too much and you can't do it, you just piss your customers off. Yeah. This has been great. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Where can people connect with you online if they'd like to check more out about the business and what it is you guys do? We've got a website, which is at goc.net.au. That website is being reviewed as we speak and there'll be a new version up in the, in, in the next month, which will have yep. a lot of information. And up from that, we just... Facebook. Yeah, awesome. No problem. All right. Well, thanks very much for coming on the uh, show. Uh, have a good weekend. Thanks, Jordan. Good talking to you.